So COVID certainly uh, made things different this past year and a half, and, and we look forward to next year being able to have a full preschool Sunday and have all the families here with us and lunch afterward. But this year, uh, we just had to do things a little bit different. Uh, and so thankful for video technology that we get to share with you, these kids singing and, and share with our preschool families who are worshiping with us at home today. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 4, we are walking with Jesus through Mark's gospel. And last week we learned that Jesus wasn't going to let anyone lay claim on him or try to control his ministry. Not the crowds clamoring for miracles, not the disciples eager for power, not the Pharisees who wanted the status quo, not even his family and friends who were worried about him. Jesus belonged to no person and no party. He was fully himself and fully engaged in being obedient to his Father. He was going to let no one deter him from his mission. Now, as a result of this, Jesus kind of embraced this rather puzzling uh, tendency towards secrecy, right? He would heal people and tell them, don't let anybody know. He would, when the crowds would come and they'd get maybe a little out of control and they're clamoring to make him king, he would slip away and go off to be alone. Or he would get in the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He wouldn't even permit the demons he was casting out to exclaim that he was the Son of God. Why did Jesus actively avoid the spotlight? And then Jesus began to shift his message from this simple sermon, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and instead began to teach in these puzzling riddles that we call parables. We're going to look at some of those parables this morning. A parable is a unique style of storytelling. Riddle really is a pretty good comparison. A parable takes two unlike things and compares or contrasts them in order to teach a spiritual truth. And in Jesus' parables, he would use imagery that was familiar with his audience, a fisherman repairing his nets or a farmer sowing seed. He would use things they understood to explain things they didn't understand. We can think of a parable like this. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus used his parables to at the same time explain and yet conceal the truths about the kingdom of God. Now, why? Why would Jesus want to conceal the truth about the kingdom of God? How can you both explain and conceal at the same time? Well, as we've learned, Jesus wasn't your typical rabbi, was he? And he wasn't exactly the kind of Messiah that Israel was expecting. And Jesus knew this. And he knew the Pharisees were rejecting him. The disciples, certainly at this point, were beginning to pick up on the fact that the religious leaders were opposing Jesus. And maybe they were beginning to wonder, if Jesus is the Messiah, why do the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests, why do they not believe him? Maybe they began to wonder, where is his kingdom? When is Jesus going to begin his rule and reign on the earth and get rid of the Roman Empire? So at this point in his ministry, Jesus begins to answer some of those questions about the kingdom of God, about what it is that he's really up to in his ministry. But still, if they're puzzled about Jesus, why not just speak plainly to them? Why give them more puzzles? Well, if you look in verses 9 through 12 of Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives a little bit of an explanation. He finishes the first parable, and it says that Jesus said to the crowd... He who has ears, let him hear. 
And then it says when he was alone, the twelve and others around him asked him about the parable. So they kind of come into their small group time. And he says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Again, Jesus is answering, why are you speaking in puzzles with a puzzle? Right? I mean, Jesus just continues to do this. But what Jesus is saying is that some truths are not for the casual observer. Divine truth isn't just found in the speaker's mouth, but also in the hearer's ear. There has to be a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. We have to be willing to ask, seek, and knock if we want God to reveal himself to us. And that's why Jesus quotes Isaiah here to talk about how the people's hard hearts kept them from hearing, understanding, and obeying what God had to say. So we're going to look at four parables this morning. And as we do, let's think of them as kingdom secrets for believers to understand that are worded in such a way that the casual observer, the the skeptic, the the vaguely curious unbeliever would not understand it. These are kingdom truths for kingdom citizens. And as Christians, that includes us today. As the Holy Spirit works in us, in our hearts and minds, we can discern from these parables three important truths about the kingdom of God. Now, the first two parables are actually parables about parables. Right? Jesus isn't using these first two stories to reveal what the kingdom of God is like, but rather to talk about the good news of the kingdom and how people receive or fail to receive it. So let's look at that. Let's look at God's kingdom sown in us. That's what the first parable is about. God's kingdom sown in us. So we're going to go up, we're going to pick it up in verse 1, read through 8. We'll skip over the part we just read and pick it back up in verse 13. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, meaning the Sea of Galilee. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat on it out on the lake, while all the people were sitting along the shore at the water's edge. And he taught them many things by parables. And then his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, even 100 times. And then Jesus said, he who has hears, let him hear. And he goes aside with the twelve and begins to explain to them about parables. And verse 13, Jesus said to them, to the twelve, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. 
Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. So in this first parable, Jesus is answering the disciples' question. Why are people not accepting Jesus as the Messiah? And he illustrates the variety of ways in which people may respond to his kingdom message. Now this parable, just like the disciples didn't quite understand it, a lot of people misunderstand this parable. So I want to begin with just a couple of observations about it. First, notice that each of these soils received the same kind of seed from the same sower in the same method. The only thing that was different was the condition of the soil. The seed wasn't defective. The sower wasn't being selective. And so the question is, is our soil effective? That's the question. What is the condition of the soil? Maybe we need to take some soil samples and test it and see what the condition of our soil is. Second observation is it requires both seed and soil for growth, doesn't it? The seed without the soil is fruitless, and the soil without the seed in it is useless. It takes both. And just as we heard in our Old Testament reading, God's Word is fruitful. It will intend what God sends it out to do. But it can only produce when it's planted in a heart that is properly prepared, that's ready to receive it and to believe it. And the third thing I want to mention is this parable isn't about salvation. It's not about getting into heaven. It's not about the security of the believer. Uh, don't get too caught up in is the shallow soil or is the soil full of weeds a Christian who's you know, lost their salvation or something like that. That's not biblical and it's not the point. In fact, Jesus teaches multiple times that people who have true saving faith are people who have heard, received, and allow the Word of God to grow in them and to bear fruit. So... What Jesus is saying is that kingdom people are to be good soil kinds of people. So this morning, let's consider the condition of our soil. How receptive is our heart to God's Word? Is the soil of your heart hard? Is it hard? You know, the field the sower is working in has got some well-worn paths. They're crossing it and dividing it up into little plots. And so some of the seed lands on these compacted paths. Those of you that do any gardening know that once you till up the soil, you, you want to be careful about where you step. You don't want to compact that soil down because it's less likely to receive the seed or to let water get down to it. Some people's hearts are that way. Their hearts have become compacted and hard because the world has walked all over them. The people in their lives have stepped all over them and they've grown skeptical and cynical from all the abuse, the disappointments, the, the hurt, their hearts are as hard and as unyielding as asphalt. And so the seed doesn't even penetrate. These are people who, who see, they may see God's wonders. They may hear God's message and they reject it. It's too good to be true. It's too simplistic. It's, it's a fairy tale. And so Satan has come and he's stolen God's word away from their hearts and they're uncompletely receptive to God and to His amazing gospel. They never receive and so they never believe. You and I, we know people like this. Maybe you've tried to share your faith with someone like this and they're not interested. They genuinely don't care what you have to say. 
They may even shock you by saying that they've read the Bible or that they used to go to church or that they grew up in a Christian home. For whatever reason, none of it took hold in their hearts. Now, does that mean these people are beyond hope? Of course not. Don't be ridiculous. Even compacted soil can be amended and can be plowed and can be reclaimed for growth. So these people aren't beyond hope. But this kind of soil should serve as a warning to us that we need to guard our hearts. And don't let the world walk all over us. And don't entrust your heart to those people that would abuse it. As Proverbs 4.23 wisely warns us, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Is the condition of your heart hard? Or maybe it's shallow. Maybe the soil of your heart is shallow soil. Look back with me at verses 5 and 6. Listen to this description. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Now think about this. What does it take beyond seed and soil for plants to grow? What are two other really basic requirements? Water and sun. Now if you get too much of either of those, is that good for the plant? No. It's ironic that what brings life to these plants can also cause death. And Jesus here points out the sun. Sunlight is a great thing for plants when they've got roots that will soak up the water and the nutrients from the soil that they need. But if they don't have that, the sun can scorch and destroy the plants. They wither under the heat. Some people in churches today are like that. They're shallow. And when pressure comes, when trouble comes, when it's inconvenient to be a follower of Jesus, when they're asked to make sacrifices they wither. In recent years, there's been this growing phenomenon of what they call deconversion stories. And it's especially popular on social media. And you'll see a a prominent Christian, a celebrity Christian. These are celebrity Christians, right? They were a leader of a Christian band, or they were a, a popular speaker at conferences for a while. They'd written a couple of books, maybe, or maybe they were even a pastor of a mega church. And they come out and say, I don't believe in God anymore. They come out and they say, I'm an atheist now. We're even now seeing children of prominent pastors doing this. Uh, Most famously right now, John Piper's grown adult son has taken to TikTok and he's using it to slam Christianity, to try to pick apart the faith. And we read and hear stories like this and it breaks our hearts and we wonder, how could this happen? How could someone who was raised up in a Christian home, how could someone who once proclaimed the gospel so brazenly walk away from it and tear it apart. How does this happen? Their soil looked good for a while, but it was shallow. They heard God's Word, even had the appearance of growth, but like a flash in the pan, they burned bright for a while, and then nothing. There was no lasting faith. They had no real depth. They had a great beginning, but they never saw it through to completion. They're like a house that looks really great, it looks really nice, it's been done up well, but over time, cracks begin to appear and there begin to be problems and you realize it doesn't have a good foundation. 
It's like the story, the, the parable Jesus told about the wise man who builds his house on the rock and the foolish man who builds his house on the sand, and we know what happened. When the rains came down and the floods came up, the house on the rock stood firm. That's right. And the other one, splat. So if we abide in Christ, if we build our lives on the solid rock of God's Word, we won't be shallow Christians. And when the storms come, we'll stand. And when the sun burns bright, we'll flourish. See, trials and persecutions, difficulties in life are either going to deepen your faith or they're going to expose the shallowness of your faith. And one of the reasons why people have a shallow faith is they try to survive on just a diet of Sunday school and sermons every week. They surround themselves with the trappings of cultural Christianity. But listen, those things don't cut it. We've got to be feasting on God's Word every day, spending time with Him and listening to Him in prayer. We've got to be trusting Him in our daily decisions. It's that daily faithfulness that gives us the deep roots so that when the difficult times of life come, we stand firm. Is your soil shallow? Third, is the soil of your heart choked? Is it choked? I don't know how many of you have ever experienced choking on food. I have not personally, but when I was about 12 or 13 years old, I was sitting on the front pew, and my, both my parents were in the choir, and we were in the middle of worship. The preacher was up here preaching, and uh, in that little country church, the front pew was like right here. And there's a reason my brother and I were on the front pew, by the way. So I just... And I looked over at him, all of a sudden, his, he was like doing like this, and I realized that he was choking. And so I just slapped him on the back, as I often would do, and I hit him real hard, and out popped the peppermint and landed right at the preacher's feet. <laughs> and of course, my mom was horrified in there. I was dying laughing. But choking, though, is not fun, right? It cuts off your air, and you kind of need air to breathe. When we allow the things of this world to take priority over the things of God, when we bite off more than we can chew from the good things of life, we can choke. And it cuts off our spiritual oxygen supply. Maybe you've met someone who was spiritually suffocating. Maybe it was even you. You know, it's the Christian that just doesn't seem to have any peace. They seem to be adrift in life without any purpose. They've, they've lost their joy. They lack any power in their life. This is a person who is choking. Every couple of years, I re-up my CPR and my first aid here at the church. We always offer that at least once a year, and I advise you to do it. It's a great thing, and you know, every year they change a little bit of something. And, and I don't know if this is proper procedure right now or not, but at one point I do remember that they taught us that if somebody is choking and they've stopped breathing, before you administer CPR, check to make sure their airway is clear, or else you're just kind of pushing that, that piece back further in their throat. If you can reach it safely, you're to fish it out. That way they can breathe. That's what we need to do, folks. We need to check our spiritual airways and clear them out so that the Spirit of God can come and can fill our lives. Consider the Christian who is a sincere believer, had a solid beginning. They have a deep faith. God has blessed them immensely with great family and a wonderful career and they're successful and they're engaged and they're involved in so many things. But all of these good things begin to crowd out their primary commitment to Christ. They begin to forget their first love. They need a spiritual Heimlich maneuver is what they need. 
They have deep roots, but they have no room to grow. They're deep down here, but they're so crowded out here. Their lives and their hearts are too overgrown with worldly weeds. What are the weeds in your life and mine that we need to clear out? Jesus mentions three. Three kinds of weeds. The first he mentions are the worries of this life. Makes me think of Mary and Martha. Remember those two sisters? Jesus went into their home. He was friends with them and their brother Lazarus. And and he was teaching. And Mary was sitting at his feet just soaking it all up while Martha, her sister, was back in the kitchen making lunch. Martha didn't like that. She was like grumbling. Why is Mary out there and I'm in here slaving over this hot stove? So she goes out to Jesus. And she asks Jesus to rebuke Mary and send her into the kitchen. And here's what Jesus said in Luke 10. He said, Martha... Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. How much like that can we be? And when we worry, what we're really doing is we're allowing the concerns of this world to drive us. And the way to overcome that is to take our worry and to turn it into prayer. Paul says this in Philippians 4, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And he says if we do, the peace of God, which surpasses, it transcends all of our understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So not only does it take care of the worry, not only does it help weed out the worries of this life, but it also keeps our heart from getting hard because He will guard our hearts and minds with His perfect peace. The two other kinds of weeds that Jesus mentions is the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things. Now, in Matthew's telling of this parable, he summarizes that up. He calls them riches and pleasures. Riches and pleasures, two of the oldest and most seductive idols in human history. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with earning wealth. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the good things of this life. It's not money that's evil, but the love of money that's the root of all evil. It's when we love something more than God, we have allowed it to become a false god. It becomes an idol in our lives. What we invest in the most is what we love the most. Whereas Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if we're truly followers of Jesus, if we're citizens of His kingdom, our treasure should be in heaven. We should be seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and trusting God to add all these other things to us as well. And it's hard to be this way, I think, for American Christians more than anything else because we live in a money-obsessed, pleasure-hungry culture, don't we? I mean, it's all about who who has the most toys, the latest tech, who has the most fun, fun, fun on the weekends. That's what the priorities of life are in our culture. What about your heart? Have you allowed your heart to be overly crowded with worldly pursuits that are choking you and keeping you from growing spiritually and bearing fruit? Are you suffocating because you're just overscheduled? Listen, I think one of the ironies of the COVID pandemic this time last year was it gave us room to breathe. Right? We were all kind of stuck at home. And we had nothing to do but to be with our family, to go for walks, to sit on the porch, to have a campfire in the backyard, to just be. We were forced to do some weeding in our lives. 
listen, let's not stop weeding. Let's keep weeding out the things that don't really matter so that our hearts aren't choked with the things of this world. And then the the last kind of soil, is the soil condition of your heart good? Is it good? In this final soil, the Word not only takes root, but it grows. It grows deep. It bears fruit. This is a person who opens up and they receive the Word of God. They, they seek to understand it. They choose to believe it and obey it. And it bears fruit a hundred times more than what was sown. Now, as I read about this good soil, and Jesus doesn't say a whole lot about the good soil, it makes me wonder, how can our hearts have good soil? What's the secret to having good soil? I think it's simply this. We commit to not be the other kinds of soil, right? We don't let our heart get hard. We don't uh, let ourselves be shallow. And we don't let our lives be choked by the things of this world. Let's turn that around and put that into a positive spin. The first way we can cultivate good soil in our hearts is to guard them. Guard our hearts. We have to be open to the wonder and the mystery of God with a spirit of humility and gratitude. We need to reject the worldly spirit of cynicism and the root of bitterness. That's the only way we can keep our hearts soft so that the Word can be implanted deeply in us and let it take root. Guard your heart. Secondly, we need to cultivate depth. If you don't want to be shallow, cultivate depth. Commit to feasting daily on God's Word with a continual spirit of prayer, meditating on the things of God, choosing to live in community with His people, worshiping regularly with your family of faith, and daily serving those around you with Christ-like compassion. Listen, when we do that, when we cultivate that kind of depth, we have God's people to fall back on. We have God's promises to fall back on when life gets tough. As Paul describes in 2 Corinthians, that we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We may be perplexed, but we won't be in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. How can that describe you? Cultivate depth in your relationship with God. And third, create space. Create space. Establish those healthy margins in our lives. You know, uh, my daughter and I, we planted some vegetables in our little garden yesterday, finally, Jay. A little later than I wanted to, but we got them in there. And we spaced them out to make sure that as they grew, they didn't crowd each other out. Because then they're competing for, for sun and for air and for water, and that can encourage disease and pests. We need to do the same things in our lives. Sometimes we need to say no to good things so we can say yes to the best things. Resist that, that desire to overcrowd our lives. So once the truth about God's kingdom has been sown, it's taken root, it's growing and bearing fruit, what next? Well, this next parable, Jesus tells us that God's kingdom, while it's first sown in us, then God's kingdom has to show through us. Let's look at this next one in in verse 21. He said to them, Do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Do you hide your light under a bushel? No! Right? You've got to do it that way. No! Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not, even what he has will be taken from him. So Jesus is continuing this theme of explaining the nature of parables, but he's changing his word picture to that of a light. He's saying that there's a nature 
within God's Word to shine, to illuminate, to reveal, just like that's the nature of any lamp that you put in your house. You don't put it under a basket. You put it on a stand so it can light the house. And Jesus is saying that to those whose hearts aren't hard, shallow, or choked, those who are willing to receive it, those who have ears that are willing to hear, God's kingdom longs to be revealed. God wants you to know Him. He wants you to embrace Him and His truth. But we've got to be willing to listen. Yes, God's Word will not return void. The Word of truth has power on its own to shine, to illuminate, and to bear fruit. The question is, will we receive it? Will we believe it? Will we choose to walk in its light or not? Because if we genuinely listen, if we allow God's Word to shine in and through us, Jesus says it will multiply and we'll experience more and more of God's kingdom blessings and power and truth and responsibility and opportunity and we'll see more and more people come to faith in Christ if we let it shine through us. Just as it's a, nature, just as it's a light's nature to shine, it's a seed's nature to grow. And that brings us to the last two parables that explain how God's kingdom grows in us. It's sown in us, it shows through us, and it grows in us. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head, and as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when, the, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Jesus is telling them that while it may seem like the kingdom of God at that moment is small and insignificant, surrounded by enemies, people don't seem to be hearing, understanding, and bearing fruit, Jesus says, don't worry. It's going to grow. It will grow. Just like a small mustard seed will grow into a, a big bush, unseen in the ground. At night, when you're not looking, when you don't even know it's happening. God loves to start things small and unseen, doesn't He? He chose an insignificant man in a backwoods corner of the ancient world through whom to make a mighty nation. And God, throughout the Bible, loves to work with the youngest son, the least tribe, the most unlikely people. He chose a shepherd boy to be king of Israel. And in the fullness of time when the Messiah came, He didn't come on some valiant steed... He came as a baby, not born in the palace in Jerusalem, but in a manger in the sleepy little town of Bethlehem. Jesus is telling the twelve and us, trust the seed. Trust the self-contained power of the gospel. When it's planted in good soil, God will cause it to grow. It will not come back empty. It will be so productive that there will be food for the hunger and seed for the sower. Maybe you've got a wayward child that you're a parent of and, and you've tried to teach them the right way. You've planted the seeds of the gospel and, and you worry about them. Jesus is saying, trust the seed. 
to do its work. I mean, as, as a teacher, as preschool teachers or elementary high school teachers, as a, as a youth pastor, Ben, you understand. You, know, you, you teach and you say the right things and you think, man, this is going in one ear and out the other. They're not hearing me. They're not retaining anything. Maybe you are sharing your faith with a coworker and you feel like it's getting you nowhere. Listen, God is at work. You just may not see it happening at the moment. Trust the seed. Trust that God is beginning and doing a work in lives that you can't even see. Because God's work in this world is often imperceptible. At times it's completely hidden from our sight, but that doesn't make it any less real. God's kingdom is present right here and right now, working in this church, working in this community, drawing people to faith, helping people get through difficult times, burdening people with the desire to share the gospel, calling people to work in His ministry. We just don't always see it. We've got some people in the sanctuary right now that were youth. When I was a youth pastor here, that I thought, my goodness, they don't listen to anything I say. And look at them now. I think they're listening to what I'm saying now. I hope so. So be encouraged. So I'm trying to say, when you feel like nothing is ever going to change or get better, when you feel like you're never going to make a difference, don't worry. It's okay. The kingdom is coming. God's Spirit is moving. It's growing. It will bear fruit. Listen, as much as these parables are a warning, they also contain a promise. God sows His seed knowing that most of the soil is bad. It's poor soil but he sows the seed anyway. And when his powerful word encounters those who are willing to listen, trust, and obey, mighty things can happen. The sower is sowing his seed. He's sowing it in your life and in mine. Are you listening? Are you receiving it? What is the condition of the soil of your heart? Maybe you've let your heart get hard. You've experienced some things in this life. You're like, David, you just don't know what I've done. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know what I've experienced. But God does. Jesus took all that on Himself on the cross for you. Let Him make your heart soft and alive again. Come to Him in faith. He will forgive your sins. He will cleanse you. He will make you new. Maybe you've let the, the, the soil of your heart grow shallow. You're not cultivating that depth. Maybe this morning you need to recommit your life to Christ and say, I want to spend time in your word. I want to pray. I want to, I want to get involved in the church. I don't want to just sit in the pew. I don't want to just sit on my couch and watch at home. I want to do something. Maybe you need to make that commitment to Christ this morning. Maybe you need to ask God to weed out some of the worries and concerns in your heart so that your soil will be good and God can shine through you and work through you for His kingdom. Maybe God's calling you to not with this church family and say, I want, to, I want to be a part of this family of faith. I want to plant my family here and cultivate depth here. Whatever God is speaking to you, I hope you'll come right now as we stand and as we sing together. Father, thank you for your words so firmly planted in our hearts through the gospel. If there's any here listening today or online that they've not received that truth, the grace and mercy that you have given them, to forgive them of their sins and to make them born again as followers of Jesus Christ, I pray they would come in humility right now and say, David, I need to know Jesus. I want Him to soften my heart. I want Him to come and to plant Himself deep in me and change me from the inside out. I pray they would come today.
Lord, for those of us that are Christians, that, that maybe we just aren't cultivating that depth. We, we've let our lives get so crowded with the things of this world, we just need to come and lay some of those weeds at your feet and say, Jesus, help the soil of my heart to get better and more productive. Help me to shine the light of your gospel to those around me. Father, I pray that you would help us to be obedient to your Spirit's call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.